11 of Please Don't Eat the Sage. This is the final episode of season one. First of all, I want to thank you for joining me for this first season of this podcast. I hope that you've gotten some information from it that maybe you hadn't learned before or opened your mind to new concepts, new ideas, new ways of creating more magic in your life. And for this week's episode, we're going to do something a little bit different. A story time, if you will. So I like to call this episode a past life case study. So I'm going to share with you a very personal story from my own past life experience and how it has shown up in my life and how knowing about my past life has helped me to become a better version of myself in this lifetime. So let's start at the beginning. I first started reading into my own past lives whenever I went through my Akashic Records training. So the Akashic Records is a very heady concept. It's very difficult to try and really nail down and explain, but essentially it's just another form of divination. And for me, a lot of times what it means is tapping into past lives. And during this training that I went through, we were encouraged to meditate upon a lifetime that we felt our most powerful. So after we'd been trained in the Akashic Records reading, we dipped into our own records and asked the universe at large to show us the best possible life that we have lived thus far and allow ourselves to really embrace the qualities of that lifetime to become better in this lifetime. Whenever I tapped in, in this particular instance, in this particular training, I saw myself in a lifetime, it's, I have a general idea of a timeline of when it was, but I'm not going to fully nail it down for the public. It's something that I'll keep to myself. But in this lifetime, I was a French artist living in Paris, and I had many lovers, and I was very creative, and I lived this very bohemian life that was very appealing. The interesting thing was at the time that I went to the training, I was very much focused on using my past lives for romantic education. I had encountered a couple people that I had romantic ties to in my past life from other scenarios. And when this lifetime came up and there wasn't a specific person that came up as a partner, I gotta admit, I was a little disappointed. I was a little thrown off that I didn't have some quote-unquote soulmate that I was looking for from this best life. Ultimately, the best part about that is that this lifetime was teaching me to focus less on my codependency, less on romance, and more on my own creative skill development. Because in this lifetime, the lovers that I had definitely helped fulfill different parts of my life, but they weren't my main focus, my main goal. My main intention from that lifetime is to be as highly creative as I possibly could. Through that creativity, I was actually healing other people. So while I was creating art for my own creative expression or commissioned by clients that wanted to see a specific thing come through in my creativity, the times that I painted art for other people there would be a shift in their energy that occurred when they looked at the painting that was the equivalent of being a healer. And so it was kind of this nice little melding of this lifetime when I was currently working as a Reiki healer already and a lifetime that I kind of felt like I didn't fully have access to. I knew that I was a creative person and I knew that I wanted to be creative in my life, but I just wasn't sure how to reconcile those two things. And so seeing this lifetime showed me 
that just by being creative, it can be healing for other people, which makes sense because when I see art that I love or I respond to, it definitely heals something within me or makes me feel understood. But there was a metaphysical aspect to this artistic lifetime that I hadn't comprehended until seeing this vision. This then started a journey into embracing my creativity or rather re-embracing creative energy that had always been there in my life. I went to school originally to be an actress, so performing was always a big part of my life, and I'd just started dabbling pretty recently in the idea of doing screenwriting. So writing has always been big for me as well. At first, what I did is I took this lifetime as a sign that I needed to dive more into those topics, and I needed to really embrace the aspects of creativity that I already saw within myself. That definitely worked for a while, but I would always hit a place in these creative energies where I would get to a block where I just didn't feel like I was having the momentum that I wanted to move forward with a project. I would start writing a script and I would get to the point where it would just kind of fall flat. And all of this is, you know, normal for the creative process, but I also found that something just didn't feel like the timing was right. It didn't feel like I'd found my proper medium just yet. So I just kept exploring and I dabbled in writing poetry, which is something that I enjoyed in my childhood. But then I just kept coming back to this feeling of wanting to embrace some of the creativity that I'd had when I was in high school and I was less defined by whatever I'd defined myself as. So I kind of kept coming back to this nostalgic feeling and just wasn't quite sure how to let all of that slip into place. Every time I would meditate on this past life or I would open my records in regards to how to tap in this creativity, I would get a message from this past life where she would hand me a paintbrush. She was giving me the artistic tools that I needed to be able to embrace my creative energy in this lifetime. But I never actually took it to a place that felt like what I consider is quote unquote artistic. I consider myself a creative person, but I would never really have described myself as an artistic person. And this comes from a lot of blockages from my life that have developed since childhood. This is where we kind of get into the power of past lives and examining past lives as a tool for letting go of your blockages in this lifetime. Because the reason I've never really considered myself or in recent years haven't considered myself as an artistic person is because I grew up with a very, very talented sister. My little sister, who's only a couple years littler than me, but she's still my little sister, has always been extremely talented when it comes to traditional art. She's a really talented painter, especially. She's played around with all different mediums and she excels in all of them, but especially painting, which was in my mind the epitome of being an artist. She's very good at that. When you grow up with siblings, any of you that have, you probably know that whenever your sibling is really good at something or really defined by something, Thing, your natural reaction is to kind of distance yourself from that thing or at least that was my reaction and I feel like a lot of people's reaction because you want to be different than your sibling you want to be seen as an individual so whenever your sibling is really talented in one area you kind of relinquish that talent to them and kind of shun it from your own existence so that you aren't seen as a part of them or connected to them so that you can develop your own identity and I think that there's a time and a place and a benefit to that but ultimately, in the long run, it makes us block ourselves from the potential of being more than what we are in certain areas. So I had to really examine those blocks around defining myself based on what my sister wasn't and letting myself look back at my life and think, well, I did used to draw a lot. I used to be 
for reasons connected to another past life. In my childhood, I was obsessed with horses and I would draw horses all the time on my folders and my notebooks and like I feel like I was constantly drawing. And I would do just like sketches of Disney characters or things like that. So like I definitely had that sort of modality of putting pen or pencil to paper and, and creating art. But because I'd never really went out and bought paint supplies and started painting and had canvases and all of the things that I thought of as an artist because it was what I saw in my sister, I just didn't think of myself as artistic. I had to overcome those blocks. I also had to overcome the concept of what I thought artistic looked like because I knew that as a minimalist and as someone who just recently moved all the way across the country, I didn't want to necessarily have to go out and invest in buying a whole bunch of supplies that were going to take up a whole corner of my apartment in order to see if I enjoyed these artistic talents. So as much as I kept seeing that vision of a paintbrush being handed off to me, I didn't want to go out and buy a bunch of canvases and paints, especially because I didn't want to invest in something if it ended up falling flat. I didn't want to throw a bunch of money into something that I ended up not being good at or not enjoying. And then also there was the space issue. I didn't want to be taking up a bunch of space with something that I might not end up loving. And I had to kind of rework my mind around what medium I needed to be in to be artistic. I actually went to school for digital design. In my early 20s, I did an online program in digital design and I really enjoyed doing that sort of thing. And so that was kind of where my artistic side had come out. I had just recently, within the past six months, downloaded an app that I'd heard really good things about as far as digital art goes. And the reason I had downloaded this app is because I'd had a really, really brilliant idea of something I wanted to create. And this is long before I moved to LA, well, several months before I moved to LA. And I had had this inspiration that I was going to create my own Oracle deck. I really wanted it to be something different and fun and playful and colorful. So I knew that it wasn't something that I could utilize tools that were already out there. I needed to find a way to create it in the vision that I saw in my head because I had a very specific vision of what these images on this deck would look like. And they were kind of similar to an artist that I was following and getting a lot of inspiration from on Instagram. Her name is Gabriella Rosie, and she is the creator of the Bad Bitch Affirmations deck. And she does these amazing, brightly colorful, punk rock, graffiti style art. And they were the closest thing that I could think of to what I envisioned for this project. So at the time, again, probably nine, maybe 12 months ago, I reached out to her and I asked her how much it would cost to commission her to do a deck of cards. And when she came back with an answer, it was totally an answer that she is worth the amount that she was charging, but it wasn't something that was in my budget. And so I started kind of trying to think out the box of, okay, is there a way that I can get past this block of not being an artist so that I can try and create these images? Because they were very specific and very clear in my mind as to what I wanted them to look like. Even when I reached out to try and commission the art, I was kind of concerned about how I was gonna communicate this exact vision in my mind because it was so crisp and so clear. At the time, I did a little research, found out about an app called Procreate or Pocket Procreate because it's on my iPhone. And I thought, you know what? I'll pay the like $10 or whatever it is, throw some money at it, get a stylus for my phone and just play and see what happens. However, this was right before my move. And so after I downloaded the app, I didn't 
get a stylus pen to be able to play around with it. And I kind of just banished it to the tundra of my iPhone where I just kind of forgot that it even existed. Then I moved to LA and I started trying to really work hard on creating screenwriting, doing the things that I thought were my artistic talents. And again, kept hitting those roadblocks, kept hitting something that didn't quite feel right. And around this time, Gabriella Rosie started promoting on her Instagram that she was releasing a card creator course because she'd had so much success in selling her bad bitch affirmations, she was gonna share the information that she'd learned along the way. I was so excited because I'd already had the concept in my mind that I wanted to create these cards for so long that I immediately reached out, got enrolled in the course, and anxiously awaited whatever information was about to come about. Through that course, I immediately got the exact inspiration that I needed to get to work and remembered that I had this app and banished to the tundra of my iPhone and pulled it back out, purchased a stylus for really cheap on Amazon, and as soon as it arrived, I was just like, okay, we're gonna take a crack at this. We're gonna see what it feels like to be my own artist rather than relying on the people outside of me to utilize those talents. And I cannot express enough how much it felt like something in my soul slipped into place in this practice. Getting over the fear of defining myself as an artist and getting over the fear of being not as individual or having to infringe upon my sister's territory or whatever it is that was all tied up in this art hang up, getting over that and putting not pen to paper, but stylus to iPhone and creating this vision that I had so clear in my mind, I was immediately amazed at how much the art that I was creating, even with my limited skill set, looked like what I saw in my mind. So it really feels like something that I'm channeling into this art and that I'd seen it from the past. I'd seen this future in these visions. Now I am in the process of creating this deck. So I guess I'll close out this story first by saying this is the power of knowing about your past life. So yes, it's fun to tell stories about yourself and to know if you had some sort of cool existence in, the, in a past life that you can sort of brag about or talk about to people. But ultimately, the reason that I like to do past life readings for myself and for others is because it brings clarity around what empowers us in this lifetime. This is the ultimate example of that. I have not felt more myself and more in my power as much as I do right now in this moment because I started this practice and because I started embracing this French artist past life energy and allowing her to kind of channel things through me. That is how the Total Betty Goddess deck is coming about. So if you're interested in knowing more about this, I have a pre-order listing on my website, but just the general pitch. Essentially, this Oracle deck came about because I had a need for an oracle deck on goddesses that I could relate to, that I felt passionate about. The only goddess decks that I could find were very, very traditional. There's a very famous goddess deck by Dorian Bircho that's a very traditional oracle deck art. It's kind of got sort of like a Renaissance art feel, and it's just very, it's, it's beautiful but it's just not my style. It feels to me like something that your hippie aunt had growing up. Like it doesn't feel like it's of my generation and my vision and, and my style. All of my tarot decks 
fit so well into my own personal style and my own personal vibe that I didn't want to buy an oracle deck that didn't quite fit. I wanted to find a goddess deck that was a little more punk rock and a little more modern and made me feel like I could relate to the goddesses in question. Through taking Gabriella Rosie's card creator course, I was inspired by something she said, which is that if you create a deck, you want to make sure that you're so excited about the topic and about the energy behind your deck that you could talk about it for at least year, if not more. I knew, again, that I wanted to do relatable goddesses, so I wanted to modernize these, these goddesses by using modern women as the imagery. The thing that really slipped into place, because art is usually best born from limitations, so it was too broad even at modern women as the goddesses. I realized in that moment when she said that you need to be so obsessed with it, you want to talk about it for forever, that I wanted to focus on the decade of the 90s as my archetypes for these goddesses. And the reason being for this is that the 90s were the years of my life. I think I was 5 or 6 to 15 to 16 during the 90s. And those were the years of my life that I was forming my opinion of what a woman should be. And pop culture was how I formed that opinion. I hadn't had a boyfriend yet, I hadn't had a job yet, I obviously hadn't lived on my own and experienced the real world. All I had to tell me what adult life was going to look like and what womanhood was going to look like was pop culture. And so I look back on the 90s now and I think about how I want to take pieces of these female icons and embrace that energy in my life and really pull what I thought in my formative years that womanhood was going to look like into my actual womanhood. These characters and these icons from the 90s, these badass babes, are serving as examples of the qualities of the goddesses that are in the stack. Each of the images is from a 90s babe, but then the goddess name appears below them. The book is going to have descriptions of each of the goddesses and how to really boil them down to their empowered buzzwords or archetype qualities so that you can utilize them in your own modern life. Because when we really dive into the mythology of a lot of goddesses, it's not always super empowering. There's a lot of messiness that happens in this mythology. But I wanted to take the essence of things. Because when you're working with spirit guides, when you're working with goddesses, when you're working with past loved ones or past lives or anything along those lines, you always want the highest form of these beings to be showing up for you. So I'm just boiling each goddess down to a couple qualities and utilizing a 90s female icon that embodies those qualities to represent that goddess. And I am so obsessed with the things that I am creating. I cannot wait to own this deck myself. And that's really why I'm creating it. I, I'm creating it because I want to give readings with this deck. But I'm also going to be selling it to the masses as well as the guidebook. So if you're interested in the Total Buddy Goddess deck, first follow me on Instagram at Michelle Shea because I'm showing little trickles of previews as rough copies of the art gets done. But also you can head over to michelleshaywalker.com backslash shop and pre-order your deck and get some additional pre-order surprises when the decks finally ship out, which will be sometime in the summer of this year. Summer 2020 is when the deck will be printed and released to the masses. Whether you're interested in this deck or not, it's okay. It's not for everyone, but if it resonates for you, I think I'm creating this for you and that's why it feels so passionate. But the point of this podcast, the point of this case study in past lives is to show you that past lives can teach us 
of how to own our power. And they can do it by showing us on how to be the most powerful version of ourselves, or sometimes they show us how to let go of the blockages that weren't making us powerful. But either way, they're helping us to find the proper archetype to live our best and highest existence in this lifetime. So if you're interested in learning more about past lives, that's also on the website. I have my coaching program in place now. It's a six-week program that I'm actually taking entries in this week. So if you're listening to this podcast in real time, you can feel free to contact me and see if there are spots available to sign up for that. But you can also purchase a sample coaching session, which involves Akashic Records opening and past life readings, if you choose to utilize those tools for yourself. Thank you to everyone that's come along on this journey for season one of Please Don't Eat the Sage. I do not yet know when season two will be happening, but if you have suggestions for things that you want to hear in the next season, please feel free to reach out to me and the website, on my email, my Instagram, and this podcast would not be possible without my Patreon. So if you want to support future seasons and all of the upcoming products that I have coming up, as well as getting some free readings along the way, head over to patreon.com backslash Michelle Shea to join that community. And once more, I have to thank my podcast editor, my audio engineer, Ian Dowdy at vegansuperpowerspodcast.com for putting all of this audio quality together for your listening pleasure. So in short, I hope that you enjoyed this first season of Please Don't Eat the Sage, and I look forward to seeing what happens next season with you here.